appreciate it, Jose. That was that was my voice. Don't worry, that wasn't Jose. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father. think about the fact that we have many, many other people to respond to, and God speaks to us. God proposes things to us, and we have to respond as well. And so this evening, the Lord who created the heavens and the earth will speak to us through his word, and we must respond as well. So we're going to go ahead and read the passage. I'm going to talk about what God is speaking to us, and then I'm going to share five ways we should respond. So let's go ahead and read 2 Peter verse, um, chapter 3, verse 11. You guys want to go ahead and turn there? Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What has God spoken in this passage? Now, this passage tells us that the world will perish passage tells us here that there's things to be dissolved, and some of the translations use um, render the word to dissolve as to destroy, but whether it's dissolving or destroying, either way, the idea of perishing and finality is attributed to the world as we know it. And the scriptures teach us that the world is perishing because of sin, and so God is speaking to us. What God is speaking to us here is a reminder that this event will come, and that what we have here is a warning. Now, God's warnings are supposed to be usefully applied, but the biblical story says that they're often disregarded. As early as the Garden of Eden, we see mankind failing to obey the Lord's admonitions. Adam and Eve did not obey the Lord's warning of eating of the forbidden tree. No one believed Noah as he built the ark that alone saved people from the flood. And the Israelites did not obey the voices of the prophets as they prophesied oracles of God. Though man's disregard over what God says has been the pattern throughout history, God in his mercy continues to remind and warn. And now, not for Adam or for the nation of Israel, the Lord has sent the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ, to warn us of what is to become of the world because of our sin. And it was prophesied that Jesus would come first to seek and save the lost, and he has. 
but it has also been prophesied that he will come again, and when he does, he will judge the world of sin. And now we, like our ancestors that have, that have come before us, also stand having to respond concerning God's judgment. This verse also tells us here that the perishing of this world is sure. We may know that we may know a lot of people that know how to get the job done, that are reliable, for lack of better words. You might know somebody, if you've got some trees in your yard, that know how to trim trees. Nobody here, but I, but possibly might know people that are rocket scientists, that know how to get people into space. But there are times when even the most reliable people that we know, the most dependable people, still fail miserably. No matter how great our efforts sometimes, and no matter how resourceful those people may be, projects aren't done, spaceships malfunction, and trees fall on houses. We may garner the best of our abilities to do what we say we will do and still fail miserably, but God wields all the power and might to bring his purposes to pass without question. God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The Lord in his word has spoken that Christ will return to save those who cherish him and who are aware of their need of rescuing but for those who are indifferent and put aside this matter and reject his offer, will be faced with an eternal fire of destruction. The earth, as we know it, lies within the crosshairs of God's wrath, and all who are of the world will not escape it. Not our neighbors, not our coworkers, not our mailmen, our friends, or even our family who stands outside the refuge of Christ. And if that is the case, and the world will one day perish, and those of it eternally, then how should we respond? Number one, let's rejoice in salvation. If God were to ever give us the ability to see half our sin for what it truly is, then we would be incapable to stop from despairing over God's wrath as we rightly deserve it. But instead, the Lord giving us the due reward of our lack of belief and our disregard for his warnings, he has paved a way for a people to come and take refuge in his sacrifice. Though all of the world and his ways are perishing, God has promised to set apart a people with a different destiny than the perishing of this world. And this destiny will not be an eternal destruction of the, of the ungodly for the wickedness, but it will be in a destiny with eternity with our Savior Jesus Christ, and while where we may live in the new heavens and the new earth. The Lord was sure to save Noah and his family. He was sure to save Rahab's family and her from the sword. And surely he saved the Israelites from destruction, the angel of the Lord, and the Passover. And he too will be faithful to spare the people whom he loves. Those who have been put their trust in the Son of God. How else might we respond to what has God spoken? Number two, don't be negligent. If Jesus' return marks the end of this age and the destruction of the world and the people who are of it, and the Lord has warned all people that this day is coming, then we are without excuse. Surely when that day comes, the lies concerning who God is and what life is all about will be exposed and condemned. 
And God desires that we won't be found living according to those same lies that so greatly occupied the world. Don't pay homage to what the Lord tells you God is like. They will either tell you that he is a God who will forgive the persistent sinner, or they're going to tell you that God is not a justice at all. Don't let these lies of the world, even possessed by some that we know closely, lull you to sleep of not paying attention to what God has spoken. We live in a world that is so much in love with self. Um, And those people will often persist in their own ways of thinking, regardless of whether it is in touch with what reality is or not. But reality is reality. And there is no greater force in truth than God who speaks. He has revealed to us that he will come to separate the wheat from the chaff when he returns to be a purifying fire to some and a destroying fire to others. Some will be saved and some will be judged. And so let it sober us to know that we would be facing the same Jesus the world would be facing had he not received for us the fiery wrath of God. But if you don't number yourselves as those trusting in Christ, don't wait until he comes back to acknowledge him as the righteous king that he is and be an object of his wrath. Do not be negligent, but acknowledge him now and trust that he will forgive you of your sin if you believe that he died and rose on your behalf. He delights to save undeserving sinners like us from the perishing of this world. And so seek the Christ who wants to purify and save you. Additionally, number three, let us respond by longing for eternity. The Lord truly does know something about our tendencies to make much of this temporal world and little of eternity. It may just be that God is speaking to our tendencies to forget our identity as a people set apart for Christ, and in doing so, fail to remember the fleetingness of life. When it is all said and done, what we, car we drove, how many vacations we got to go on, or how good at golf we were, will not matter. What will matter is if we remembered to live in the light of eternity, holding on to the earthly things with an earthly grip, thanking God as he gives and as he takes away, and holding on to the eternal things, the good news with a death grip. If the church has the faith to exercise that the world's demise is sure, and that he is redeeming a people to be with him in eternity, then we can trust that he can bless us with far more than we can possess here on earth. So long for eternity as a bride longs for her groom. Don't have... Don't fatally occupy your minds with the concerns of the world because he has destined us to live an eternal kingdom with him where we will be fully removed from sin and living in the presence of our Savior. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. If we long for eternity, then our waiting will also be expressed in responding in number four, Holiness. So when a child goes to school, they conform to the dress code sometimes. They conform to behavioral rules as students. And if they're there to receive an education, they will conform to the pattern of successful students before them and get their assignments done. Conformity isn't wrong. It's a driving mechanism that transforms you into someone you are becoming. 
And in that same way, God intends to do the same thing with us. If you have trusted in Christ, then God desires to transform you into the likeness of his son without spot or blemish, one day fully in heaven. And so we, though we will not reach that one day, though we will not reach that fully here and now, we can in the meantime progressively be molded into that and we will one day be with him and fully transformed. So let's take a hold of the God-given tools that we have and live set-apart lives, either by the school teacher with a paddle or the parent with a wooden spoon. Non-conforming behavior is expelled by discipline, and in the same way, we can come under the loving, gentle, tender discipline of the church. And so, though we might be intended to fear that, let us receive that and be a part of the church, seeking to discipline people privately, learning how the church helps us be holy as we pursue Christ and pursue longing after holiness, being set apart together. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And while you renew your mind, while you pursue holiness with your church, being sanctified, also, number five, respond in godliness. Though every bit of Jesus' nature and behavior is godly, perhaps it's his ability to save sinners from the wrath of God that is most strikingly noticeable to us. We in our flesh try to respond to God's words in a saving way, but we do it to no avail. But Christ, however, offers salvation for all because he has lived up to God's standard and he responds to us by perishing in our place. Christ used his godliness in his life to save sinners, and we ought to use our lives to do the same. Partner with people in your local church and concern yourselves with the souls who need Christ. Look for evangelistic opportunities and evangelize. Pray for opportunities and anticipate where you may be able to turn a casual conversation into a gospel conversation. It's not just a command. It's a privilege to be godly like Christ and point people to salvation that they too may be snatched from their own demise. The world is perishing. It surely is. But God has spoken of a proposal where we may be a part of this um, part from the perishing world and may be joined to Christ in love. Offers on the table, and all that's left to ask is, how will you respond? Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we, we thank you. We, we were lost without hope and we were perishing ourselves in a dying world. But you have spoken, and by your grace, we have responded. May we not forget your great love for us and grant us hearts to pursue holiness and godliness as we wait for your return. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.